So, uh, 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 because of uh, the the TED Talk thing, I'm doing doing more background research on the PTSD, and there's only a small percentage of people that are veterans, and out of that percentage of veterans, there's even a smaller piece of the, the ones with PTSD. And then um, you think in terms of PTSD as sort of an invisible wound and trying to get people to understand what that is, both from the aspect of the person who might have it and from the aspect of the, of the people that they have to deal with and, and how to bring that to the foreground without, you know, I, nothing I want to announce. It's nothing that I want to wear on my shoulder. I mean, people... They have disabilities, have a tendency, some people, to kind of throw that out there. And that's not, not where we want to be with this. This has just got to be something that you can go do. So for me, the photography, and I didn't know this. I had no clue. I didn't know about PTSD. I was at the VA, and somebody said, what did you do? And I told them, and they said, here, go down this room, and here's a piece of paper. I checked off three quarters of it, and they said, yeah, you got PTSD. And I'm like, uh that explains a few things. Um, and then and then now there's been all these insights and realizations about why and how and what. And and photographically, it, it does. It gets you involved with other people. Now, I've got friends who are landscape photographers that don't want to deal with people in any way, shape, or form. And they do absolutely wonderful work. Um, but here again, that at least gets them out. Then they get to publish the pictures so they get feedback or they get to hang their images and they get feedback. So anything that you can do that interacts in such a way that you can get other people to look at and deal with it. We are looking forward our way from Studio C in the 511 Studios in the Brewery District. That's just south of downtown Columbus, Ohio. Hi, this is Brett, and with me is Carol, as always. And, you know, each November, Carol and I wish to honor our veterans, highlighting the role they played to keep our country safe, and and still do, actually, um, but also the contributions they make to our communities when they return. We're honored to highlight the work of local photojournalist Ed Zirkel and discuss the role he is playing to document and record some very important issues of our day. Ed, thanks for my, uh, so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I uh, uh, feel blessed to have uh, done my service and, and uh, come away a lot better than a lot of other veterans. And uh, uh, sometimes you feel the weight of uh, trying to represent a lot of other people. So hope I do well for everybody today. No, thank you. Will. you. We know you thank will. you. And and um, they say it's a little bit trite, but thanking you for your service it should be a meaningful statement. And and I, we've been doing this for quite a while. Yeah, um, talking to veterans and those who serve veterans in that November block of time. Um, and so we're we were pretty excited to have you come because it's something very different. Oh well, thank you very much. The other thing I find, it, especially when I get a whenever I get a chance and see another veteran is to go up to them and, and have a conversation. And for the, for the guys from back in the day, the other thing is welcome home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very interesting. Uh, to, Cause when I came back, I, you had to fight to get your job back and, yeah. and nobody talked much about anything at all, period. Yeah. Right. Well, let me ask a question right up front before we really dive into your world. What would you suggest when we, approach a veteran, know a veteran, 
yes, we want to thank them. But what else can we do at that moment? I mean, we can. It's easy to say thank you, and right? Then, and then you're done. What What else yeah. can we should we do? Or or maybe that is that enough? Uh, it's it's interesting. My conversations will be completely different from yours, just because it's veteran to veteran. Okay, right, right. But but you have to be able to say, hey, you know, uh, what did you do, and okay. and um, anything you'd like to share. Okay. And because I don't know how far some may. I, I, and you're going to get can, a variety of. What can you? What can you? Without triggering, without right going too far, but. There are stories that we we should know. Yeah, there there are a lot of stories out there, and and uh, which is going to segue into something you're going to talk yeah. about later. But the, with the World War II veterans that I talked to, mm-hmm. and uh, and some of the people, it's like, well, you're not going to get much out of them. And then I go in high, and someone said, I was in the army a little bit after you, and that'll get a smile. And then we start talking about different things, and the stories are there. Yeah, the okay. stories are there. So you. You understand, and this is a different kind of news business that you're in, but you need to be able to make friends with whoever you're talking to in 30 seconds to a minute to get them to relax, mm-hmm. to be able to tell the story. And that's what it's about is to – and be honest about it. And be honest about it. And and that's part of, you know, if you meet a veteran, it's, hi, how you doing? And, uh, hey, you know, thanks. What, what, what did you do when you were okay. in? Okay. And see where they're at. You're going to know within – Two or three seconds, what yeah. kind of reply you get. Right. Okay. Which, yeah. which, which is probably better than saying, what can I do for you? Yeah. It's a, it, you're That's open-ended. Well, and, yeah, and, and right. too, it could be intrusive. But if you ask someone what they did in their military service, you may find out they do need some help and you can possibly help them or get them help as opposed to being intrusive, just saying that outright. Yeah. A lot of times people come up, especially in the stories, and say, is there anything I can help you with? And it's like, I am so far beyond help. (laughs) (laughs) But but you get that reaction. If the person, you find out immediately if that person's got a sense of humor. Right. You know, and if they just kind of look at you funny, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to move on. But but, but otherwise, you you get a chuckle or somebody, and it's like, yeah, I know what you mean. And and you've built this little rapport very quickly. Right, right. So so you guys know up front right now that I am beyond help. (laughs) No, 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 no. We have you on our show. Right. We would not have you on our show. Which is another reason that I am so far beyond help. No. (laughs) And he may be thinking of us as like, they are so far behind it. Why do they have me on? This I, I was just—I was just going to say we have him cap. We've captured him for this. Yeah. He can't go anywhere. Until no. We're done. Okay, so Ed, we're going to get back on track. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Brett and I always say we have questions to keep us on track. Right. Um, so when I looked at your website, you just—you're described as a traveler, a storyteller, a documentarian. I now, paid somebody to write I, that. It, so. They're wonderful. It's wonderful words. Me, I was just going to say you were a photographer. How do you describe yourself? Tell us about your early career and how did you get started on this path? Well, it all started when mom and dad. No. <laughs> so, uh, Folks, you missed an hour of this pre-show we should have recorded. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're just getting a... A little bit of taste of it. Yes. Right. <laughs> so, so back in the 60s, uh, we were in uh, Hinsdale, uh, a suburb of Chicago, and the Glinkies lived across the street. And if Carol Glinky is still alive and kicking, um, her brother is like, you know, here's my sister, whatever. And 
but her brother's in photography and and unfortunately for Carol, it was more interesting than she was. <laughs> so at that age, uh, you know, and that kind of started the whole thing and, and went downhill from there. And I uh, ended up in Louisville, Kentucky and took some photo classes and got to internship at the Louisville Courier Journal and Times. Uh, this is the late 60s. And um, uh, was very lucky uh, to, to be with some titans of the photojournalism uh, industry back then. Uh, Bill Strode, uh, C. Thomas Harden, uh, Billy Luster came on after I left and uh, ended up over in um, Evansville Sunday Courier Press, J. Bruce Bauman. Uh, Jay and I still need to have a conversation about the night that he brought me film and I processed it and he was all over the place. And basically it was a joke because there was nothing on the film at the time. <laughs> Gee, Bruce, I owe you. Um, and then from that, because the industry, everybody kind of knew everybody. And um, uh, Randy Dieter, who's a dear friend, uh, got me hooked up with the Mansfield News Journal. And I was still kind of finding my way, but I ended up in the News Journal for 10-some years and and uh, did well. I mean, it just uh, – I have a visual acuity, apparently, that uh, things just fall into place for me. And, you know – Part of what happens when you shoot is having an understanding of the equipment that you're using. It's a tool. Um, but the other, other part of it is uh, having an, uh, uh, an awareness of what the moment is and then throwing luck into the pot and then stirring the pot and hoping that the things fall into place uh, when you press that button. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of where we're at. Hmm. So as a young man, you, uh, you were in the military during the Vietnam conflict. However, you were able to utilize your photography skills to serve the military. Uh, can you give us a picture, pun intended, of your steps into the military, how your photography was documenting the conflict and, and kept you grounded okay. with your service? Well, this is kind of interesting. Um, I was uh, married, working full time, and my uh, draft number was 18. And so I had a choice of uh, if I signed up, uh, a, I could pick my job, and um, B, there was a three-month delay program, so you actually had three months of service when you went in, uh, which is, you know, thought that was kind of cool. I'd had a little bit of German in high school. James Bond was the thing. Uh, I was a photographer, and all they had to do was me, uh, teach me lock picking, and I was going to be a spy in Germany. I was going to Berlin. I mean, it was going to be a cool time. Took the Army language aptitude test and found out I was dumb as a rock when it came to <laughs> languages. And they said, you could be a mechanic or an MP. And it's like, okay, I'll be a mechanic. I got sent to Fort Bragg and uh, for my um, service. And somehow they found out I was a photojournalist and I ended up getting my orders pulled and I was made the post photographer for Fort Bragg, which was very cool. I mean, I got to do all kinds of interesting things. Um, that photo that I showed you earlier that um, is one of the three that was picked to, to go to Delaware Fair and then uh, hang up at the, the Veterans Museum here in town uh, came out of that. Uh, so there were firepower demonstrations. They were riding around in helicopters. Uh, when we were young, the Mel Gibson movie in the, in the book about uh, the Vietnam conflict mm -hmm. in the beginnings of the Air Cav, kind of find out General Tolson, who was the post commander at the time, uh, was one of the guys that started that, which is why I think I end up in helicopters all over the place for six months. 
That job came to a close, and I got sent over to a thing called CID, which is Criminal Investigation Division. So I spent my entire time at Fort Bragg, but CID back then um, covered anything that was of a major case on post and anything that happened off post. And uh, long, long story short, uh, it was two years of people that committed suicide that stepped on something out in the range and got killed. Anything really, really bad that happened, we would cover. So it was a couple of years of a lot of dead bodies and, and uh, crazy things. Uh, and I think part of that came out of the fact that um, uh, Gil, or, uh, Hodges was the uh, lead investigator. I believe he did the Miley incident, uh, mm. which was back then. Mm-hmm. So there was um, an incident that happened in February 1970 where a Green Beret captain, uh, Jeffrey McDonald, ended up um, uh, killing uh, his wife, who was pregnant, and his two children, and then stabbed himself. And said that uh, hippies came in and wrote on the wall and all this stuff, and they started covering that case. And I have a feeling that they were doing things with like an Instamatic and then found out there was a professional photographer on and I got pulled over because I re-photographed that crime scene. And that became like a book and a movie, and this guy's still in jail, and it, it, was, it was just kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So Fort Bragg was, was, a, was a really, really crazy time back then. The people coming back from Vietnam, uh, the, the, the drugs, the, the anger, the, all kinds of things that were going on. Um, there's a thing called a Gamma Goat that was a um, six-wheel vehicle, and a Gamma Goat... Uh, he turned the front wheels, the, the, the rear wheels. It was like a deuce and a half at the time, but it can go over anything and around anything. It was a pretty cool vehicle. And we were in the office, and uh, we heard the MPs call that somebody had stolen uh, this gamma goat that had a, uh, it was a Red Cross vehicle. Or not a Red Cross vehicle, but it was a medical vehicle on post. And we were, it was like, as long as he stays on post, piece of cake. And this guy goes off post, so he's got MPs following him. And he picks up the sheriff units. Guy begins going through downtown Fayetteville, picks up PD, the stadies. Everybody thinks it's an exercise because it's a military vehicle with a Red Cross on it and police and so on and so forth. And uh, ends up getting bogged down around I-95, trying to get on or off the 95. And I, they sent me out there to photograph the damage of the um, – because they shot at him to try and get him to stop doing this. And he got out there, and it was, it was like the, the paint had chipped off the vehicle when they shot at him. Uh, so, so it was that kind of craziness that just went on for, for two years. So, so Ed, the, I think for those of us who grew up at this period of time, what we see today is a very different attitude for those who came back during Vietnam, coming back into the States, coming home, compared to what young men and women today uh, have happening around them where everybody's excited to see them and kids are running and, you know, families used to literally hide when their relative came back from Vietnam. Even though you were here, tell us about that experience of... um, what you were subjected to. I wasn't really, I never felt subjected uh, to um, what I didn't realize at the time was uh, PTSD, which created a different set of issues. Um, 
Uh, I knew I was having bad dreams. I knew there was, something wasn't quite right, but because I worked at CID, they were criminal cases. You couldn't talk about those, so there was an issue with that. And uh, how do you explain that you wake up thinking that your pillow is a piece of somebody's leg because they got blown up and that's what you end up photographing and what are they going to think about you and what are they going to tell your employer and I mean it's just a rabbit hole. Um, Frank Horde was the managing editor for the for the newspaper in, in the news journal and Frank was uh, <laughs> Frank was right out of central casting if you want to talk about a tall gruff you know in your face news editor I mean that's that's what it was back then and and we would have arguments that the entire building could hear and I get fired and I go away and then I get hired back again and I mean this just went back and forth and, and a part of that I think were just anger issues out of the PTSD but I had no idea uh, because the police department called me up at two o'clock in the morning and say hey we'd have that accident and I go take pictures for him and they, we'd have all these front page images that everybody ate up so it was kind of a weird, twisted thing that was going on back and forth. So you weren't subjected to behavior that we would not expect today, but what you were, what you were experiencing was a lack of knowledge of what veterans were going through, which oh, were much better at trying to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. We had a couple of veterans in there. One of the guys, and I can't remember his name, would go in and sit down, and he wouldn't say a word. And I think the people he was going to interview got nervous, and they would talk. They would just spill their guts. And then you go back and write it. And then they come back later and say, well, why did you write that? And he's like, well, you told me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it was, it was, you know, and, and maybe because as a photojournalist, as a news photographer, you know, we, we made friends with the things you can't do now. I mean, I went to police and fire trainings. Um, I, I got to, I the police department hold me as hostage for the new recruits because the new recruits didn't know who I was. I mean, we had that kind of relationship. I could go to a, some incident and have a police car in front of me, behind me, and they're not going to stop me because they're going to be on front page. So maybe part of what was being wound up from the stuff in the service continued on and just perpetuated itself and going on and doing the, the various uh, uh, news photos where I got a chance to to go some crazy things and they would let me in. Hmm. Yeah. Well, on the positive side, though, um, not that that's negative, all negative, but at the same time, the benefit of military service was the educational funding to complete your bachelor's degree in fine arts. Talk about the training you received, uh, how you define this, your style then and, and how you capitalized on the training to create your own studio. Well, um, Haskett Hall doesn't exist at Ohio State University anymore and the, and the photo, de- photo department and, and all of that kind of has all gone away so they've kind of melded things back into uh, the fine arts program but it's nothing like what it was back in the day this was in the 80s and um, uh, Ardeen who's, who's still with us and she hangs her work uh, up and Frederick her husband uh, we're, we're still friends and they get to do some of the things, but a lot of those people are gone from, from back in the day. Um, the, it was, I got to learn studio. I, as a news photographer, as a photojournalist, you learn to do things very, very quickly, uh, and, and, uh, appreciate and getting in and out of, um, 
uh, a dark room. Um, you know, there were no rules or regulations. It's just get it done. So going and getting my degree, I learned some finer points about how things, quote unquote, are supposed to be done um, and got to meld those two different types of uh, background together and uh, learn a four by five processing uh, with a, a large format camera, which helped me uh, when I finally opened up a studio. So it, it was a great combination because I could do things really quickly and, um, and had a, a kind of an interesting different skill set out of all of that. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I, I've, it always amazes me. My son took a photography class in high school all the way to photography one, two, and three. And, and they start off with, you know, the, the point and shoot film. Right. Which is very difficult. Maybe, maybe one shop in Columbus that even has film, you know, that sort of thing. And you, you think about that, the photos that you show, that you showed us prior to the show and such, that it's that this isn't digital. This is a, you took that picture and you don't even know what you took at that time. You, you do, but you don't until you develop it. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's, 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 it's just a totally different world in regards to taking pictures. They, there's a term called chimping where, where they take a picture and then you look and see. Okay, and they take a picture and you look and see real quick. And um, sometimes I do that. Other times I'm just concentrating on what's happening in front of me. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, and you had 36 shots. That, right. That, yeah, the, the little chip that I have in my camera, I can do thousands of pictures before I have to do anything. Right? And it's the same thing with, with cell phones. If you think in terms of the fact that back in the day, you would go buy a camera, a point and shoot, you and it was 24 or 36 uh, exposures. And so there were a couple taken at Easter, there's uh, something mm -hmm. at a birthday, <laughs> yeah. it might be something at Thanksgiving. That camera might last you a year. They get processed, you get uh, a, a square or a four by six image back, and that would end up in a shoebox or, or uh, a, um, mm -hmm. the wrong kind of plastic sleeve in, in a book. Um, that may or may not be seen again. So we have cell phones now. So people take pictures on that, and they don't want to take them off the cell phone because, oh my God, they might disappear. And, and you know, we've got cloud storage, and you can put them on your computer, and it's just a whole different... But it's still the same thing. It's like there's certain pictures at a certain time of the year, and then, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Things have changed, and things haven't changed yeah. at all. Did you embrace the digital when it started to come out? Um, or did you kind of fight it? It, um, I, I, it wasn't until to the beginnings of two thousand that I finally made the jump. Okay, and then, and and if they talk about well, it's digital, it's cheap, and it's like, <laughs> no, it's not because uh, the cameras and the cameras get updated, and then there's the software, and then the software gets updated. And then there's your computer, and the computer's got to be updated, and you run out of storage space, and 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 like we were talking about, you know, the cell phones. Well, there's a new cell phone that takes a higher resolution, and so we got to go to the new cell phone, and just uh, yeah, it's it's, you know, back in the day, you had film, you had a, two or three lenses, you had the camera, you process it, it got done, move on. Mm -hmm. Not now, no, no. <laughs> exactly. Uh, do you, do you think that? you were more careful taking pictures because you wanted to get a good picture when you were doing 
film than when you know you can do it on your cell phone and you can take a million pictures. Oh, no. One of them's going to be good. No, I um, I have a tendency to use. Actually, I have a tendency to use my cell phone sort of like a four by five camera because with a four by five camera, you put the over your head and you would open up the lens and look and see and so on and compose and and I have a tendency to take the time with that. Um, for those of you at home, I just pointed to my cell phone. Um, that uh, show that, and tell. Yes, right. Um, tune in next week. Uh, so, uh, with the cell phone, I have a tendency to take the time to compose and put it together a certain way. I mean, there are times when things just happen and you just do. But no, I take more time to to do with this because I can do images off of this that go, you know, the size of your TV up there. It's another thing you can't see at home, but they have a big TV up on the wall. So, um, so yeah, I do take the time with that. Okay. But the other thing is with the new cameras, I mean, the new cameras that I have, the, the Nikon, the Z9, um, you can put a setting on it that you can catch a bullet coming out of a, out of a gun. It's, it's that quick. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't take and have your internal eye line things up the way it's supposed to be, doesn't make any difference uh, whether I'm running around with a box camera or a, a brand new digital. I mean, you've got to understand the image and what you're trying to capture and where it's at. That kind of at, thing. Mm-hmm. As you've said, you have you've got the eye. You can see well, that, you, that picture. I have a friend who, even with her little tiny camera on her phone, takes phenomenal pictures. I could take the same thing, not even close. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, it, part of it is the anticipation of knowing what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the rodeo stuff out in New Mexico this last uh, last week, uh, I knew where I needed to be. I knew where uh, the chute, which is a gate where they let, the, the, whether it's bull riding, bareback riding, whatever they were doing. So you, you anticipate where they're going to be, and that allows you to 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 capture that image that you think might be there. Mm-hmm. And if the photo gods are smiling on you, that, that happens. Right. Well, uh, my, my friend does theater in Chicago, and she directs some theater, so she understands that whole notion of blocking. Yeah. You, she can see the picture. Me, I'm just clicking. Big difference. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. this is just earlier today. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful. I'm so, sorry that our, our uh, audience can't see it. We'll, uh, yeah. If you send it to me, we'll put it up on sure. the website. Yeah. Sure. Very cool. Very, very cool. Okay. So going through your career steps, you've been in and out of photography, doing some other kinds of things, but you have several really cool projects that you're working on for photography. You, you just mentioned what you were doing in, in New Mexico. There were several that you told me about when we talked before we came up with our podcast Mm -hmm. idea. Um, so tell us a little bit about documenting the World War II veterans and comparing the work they're doing to military work today. So part of the World War II thing, I think, is the, the fact that the VA has been very good to me and I get a monthly check. Um, yeah, and um, it allows me to do my own projects to, to be fairly independent. Um, and to be able to go back to the World War II uh, people that uh, saw something entirely different 
and to uh, a do a portrait of them and b allow them to just tell their story. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you know, I sometimes I think myself more as a documentarian than anything else. I mean, um, a visual sociology uh, to be able to go out and uh, record life uh, that may or may not ever be around again. And so to be able to sit down with these gentlemen, and so A, you have a portrait of them that hopefully will live for a very long time, and B, you get their story in their words from, from them as they talk about it. And one of the things that is funny, the, the way you worded that question, was once I get the, these um, uh, World War II veterans uh, documented, I want to go to uh, the Department of Defense, DOD, and find the corresponding current serving frontline soldier that matches the World War II veteran. So for the, so I, I got to talk to a gentleman, he's a Navajo co-talker. He's the last co-talker uh, who was at, he was at Iwo Jima. Uh, he sent him back to Pearl. He sent him to Nagasaki. Um, he, he sat down and talked to me for an hour, part of it in Navajo saying the Marine hymn at the, whole, at the end of the whole thing in Navajo. I mean, it was an amazing mm-hmm. experience. I know that there are Navajo Indians that are into communications currently. So to be able to go and document them now and then marry those two stories together. Um, one of the, the ladies uh, decoded uh, German U-boat messages. She was a Navy, uh, Navy whack, and um, she, she, she's 100, going on 102 now. She's over Pittsburgh way. Um, I have a feeling that there are Navy, female Navy officers uh, that are doing uh, encryption work uh, to get their story and how their story fits in with like her story mm-hmm. and meld those two things up. Mm-hmm. I think that would be, for me, and, and that's what a lot of this is about. It's not, it's not what you guys think. It's what I think might be interesting. And then if you seem to like it, that's just icing on the cake for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that I can go do this and then bring back, and then hopefully it's something that has uh, something of an audience to it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't go do it, then it'll never get seen no matter what. Um, and the other thing, and I don't know if you, oh, well, you talk about this later on, um, and jump from B to C or D here, real quick. We we can jump. Not a, not so, a problem. Part of part of these projects is it, it gets me out of the house. When I was working for the newspaper, you were you were on assignment. You would leave. So n- now I don't have to leave the house. I don't have to this. I don't have to that. But I know that just staying in the house is probably the healthiest thing in the world for me. So the photography in a way is a great source of therapy get out to see and meet people and do things and record stuff and bring things back then have other interactions and that kind of thing well i think we are all concerned that we want true pictures of history and you're really giving to that too we're we're going to understand what an individual went through in world war ii and we can then visualize it in today's world by doing those comparisons. Now you're doing that also with Ukrainian soldiers, is that correct? No, I haven't had a chance to, uh, that's a whole different ball of wax. Um, the permissions to get to the front line uh, to do things. 
Uh, I had a chance to go to Ukraine twice, uh, once last October, November, and then this February, March. February there was on the 24th, which is the one-year marker of, of the uh, thing, and it was at Kharkiv, which is about 24, 27 miles away from the Russian border. So Kharkiv and, and Kiev were the two major cities that the Russians thought they'd take those and everything's over and done with. So I got a chance on the second trip to go there. One of the Rotarians that I was working with was really nice and uh, gave me uh, access to her mother's car. Her mom's in Paris. And with the admonishment that, A, there's no insurance on her car, and B, please uh, do not uh, let the uh, let the soldiers take the car. Uh, my re- uh, response was, not a problem. I'll be very careful of the car. I didn't tell her this, but if the soldiers ask for the car, I'm going to be like, can I get my equipment out? And then you're more than welcome to the car. Thank you very much. Uh, it's just, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, you know, I, when I go out on some of these things, especially something like that, you're, you're dressed in black. You don't want to take up much in the way of attention, if anything. Uh, I had a blacked out American flag on the shoulder and, and a thing that said press and a thing that said rotary and some other things that they, they allow me to have. Yeah, the soldiers look in the window and they just, it's like it's another crazy American and just wave you on. Um, but um, I, I came back from uh, someplace. Uh, the, the first trip, it was interesting. The first trip, everything was at night uh, on the trains. All the windows and all the trains were all taped to, to keep from any of the glass shattering. Um, uh, the the uh, it was diesel engines that were taking around uh, the February March it was electric it was during the day uh, there was Wi-Fi in one of the trains it was just wild uh, the, the people have a no nonsense uh, feeling about the the war and the aspect that we've got to continue living uh, air raid sirens would go off and they would you know the the uh, train station in Kiev is huge there's two sections on either side and over the tracks and so on. I went down and asked one of the ladies that I knew that wore a certain jacket that spoke English so I could get some more train tra- train tickets to go someplace else. And they kicked everybody out. So everybody didn't go to the shelters. They stood outside the doors of the train station with their cell phones waiting for the all clear so they can get back in and get back to their business. That's just, you know, the, kind of the way things are. Um, and uh, um, so... You know, getting around is, is quite a, quite interesting, quite amazing. Uh, it's wonderful people. It's unfortunate, you know, what the, it's more than unfortunate what the Russians are doing and, and the reasons behind it. It's just it's nuts. Uh, but uh, it's a beautiful kind of like going through Ohio in some aspects. You know, the cows in the hills, and they're out farming, and, and I was at a strawberry field, and they were doing some things and bringing in lettuce and... Um, but on the other hand, uh, the, the, we don't have opera houses in the United States like what they have. Oh, my mm-hmm. God, they're just gorgeous. And the old streets, I, I kept on thinking I'm walking down a street that's probably older than the United States. I mean, it's... Oh, probably. You know, yeah. and, and, and uh, some of the Rotarians invited me up. There was a big uh, gathering convention in, in Leave, and they invited me up to the apartment and went up there, and, and uh, they are like, hey, you want some of this? And they turned around and offer me a box of Kentucky fried chicken. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't travel these many thousands of miles to, to, to have some KFC, nothing, nothing against KFC. Uh, 
But your local vodka is very good, so I will partake of that. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, well, are there are there other kinds of projects that you would like to mention today that you've been working on? Uh, yes, my brain goes back. Um, uh, other than the fact that, um, uh, that probably there's going to be this ongoing thing about going out to, to Gallup, New Mexico and spending a little more time uh, once a year when the, the, the gathering of the nations get together, the various Indian tribes um, from from around the United States, uh, they go there, Apache, Navajo, Ute, uh, met a group from San Diego that were descendants of uh, Aztec-like warriors from Mexico, mm. and their headdresses were just amazing. And the other thing is that I, you, you, you wonder about some of the religions and indoctrination of the children into something cult-like. These kids are getting to grow up in a culture that's not getting lost. Uh, at the rodeo, there was a young lady that, tra- that did everything in Navajo. She explained where and why and how and what, and then translated for everybody that didn't understand what she was saying. I mean, and they were doing this on their own. These kids are very proud about where and what. And, I mean, mm-hmm. and there's still kids that complain about everything, but... Um, but it's, it's, it is, you know, mother earth, uh, the the sky, the sun, how it all comes together is a completely different environment than what we're used here to here. And, um, uh, you get a chance to go out in the middle of nowhere and actually kind of tune in to, uh, your, um, you don't have all of what we have here in town, noise and light and, and uh, the craziness and this and that and everything else. I had a chance on the way out. I was in one of the plateaus, and um, the sun had set, but the sky was gorgeous. And it's like, oh, that'd make a great picture, but there's nothing really there to, to offset just uh-huh. sunset. And so I'm driving down the road. I see there's a small pond, and in the background are all these our windmills and stop the car in the middle, literally in the middle of the road. I've got car doors open. I'm getting cameras out. I'm taking pictures with my cameras and with, with the cell phone and doing all this stuff because there's nobody around for miles and miles and miles. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere, nowhere. And, um, and then I realized I could hear the swooshing of the blades on these windmills from the area. It was that quiet. And, uh, wow. So yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's it's you'd love to for everybody in Columbus just to kind of take off and go down the highway a little bit and get out of the city to realize how nice it is back here in Columbus, uh, but that you know how much there is around the world that that mm-hmm. you just don't know about unless you get out there. Yeah, are you creating art? Do you think? I mean, are you just making a record of the day's events, which can be art or both. Because to me, you, that description of getting out of your car, taking a picture, it's just living the moment. Let the moment happen. And to me, that's art. If you allow yourself to allow yourself. Right. Okay. I don't think of myself as an artist. I don't think in those terms. Okay. It's just I do what I do. And if somebody thinks it's absolutely wonderful, then that then I get to be, you know, that much happier about uh, what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh, it's gorgeous, listeners! Yeah, he pulled up the picture. 
Wow. So this well, is, we, we do have to add yeah, those pictures yeah. to our website. Yeah. But, you know, what, what you described right there is that you create what you create, and if people consider it art, that's great. I think artists think that way, though, don't they? I... Or not. I, I'm not an artist, so I don't know, but I, I kind of get that feeling that this is me. I'm pulling it out of me, and you like it or not, I don't care. When, when I think back uh, to some of the masters who knew different people from different media... Uh, photographer that that knew, say, the photographer that knew Pablo Picasso, that would be mm-hmm. an entirely different kind of conversation, and they had an entirely different insight and meaning into where and how and why and what. Um, I can remember at Ohio State, uh, they would uh, <laughs> some of the classes, um, uh, they bring a picture up and they start talking about it, and it's like, so do you know the photographer? You know anything about? It? He says, "Well, no. This is uh, this is what we think that they were doing." It's like, well, you, you don't know unless you have a chance. And even then, if somebody asked me about one of these pictures, it's like, I don't know. My brain just thought it fell into place. It's not a very educated answer. It's just that that worked for mm-hmm. me. I thought that worked for me. But a, I, but you have a story behind that picture. Yeah, that is so strong. Right, you felt the urge. You stopped in the middle of the. You you described this whole story for five minutes about how you got that picture. We, we were seeing it in our mind's eye. Yeah, from your description, and, and then we saw the actual picture. So it's, it's a, and and the and the interesting thing was the fact that I'd spent quite a bit of time driving around trying to um, trying to find out. Um, if there was going to be something that was worth photographing yeah. yeah, and, and you know, you can drive down the road and see a million pictures. It's a matter of, are you going to take the time to actually stop, mm-hmm. go back? Right. And yeah. there were, there were a sure. couple of times during, sorry, there were a couple of times during the trip where I literally, it's like, Oh my God, I got to go back. And I've, and I've got some more images in there where I, I literally stopped the car, turned around, went back because that to me was like was talking to me mm-hmm. so I, is, is sure. this the same as what you're doing when you've created your photographic magazines on exploring ohio and exploring columbus yeah um somebody nobody had ever registered exploring ohio.com or exploring columbus.com and i found out about exploring columbus.com later yeah right yeah, yeah. uh found out exploring columbus.com which i haven't had a chance to really do anything with yet and um, when they, and I kicked myself when the pandemic came, I should have been out on the exploringohio.com uh, and just documenting all kinds of stuff and putting up and saying, hey, here's something you can go do that you don't have to worry mm-hmm. about running into. And, and, and I didn't. Um, uh, so those have been sort of on hold while I'm doing the World War II project and then going to Ukraine and so on. Once I have those projects a little underfoot, then are are, are um, in the can, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at uh, being able to do something that people coming to Ohio or in Columbus will be able to go and and say, like, "Oh, that that's kind of fun to do," and and just uh, right. We'll have you back when you get that going. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I, I, I think well, it'd, that'd be be great great it'd be a great show. It'd be a great show. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, and 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 it's it's like it's a continuation of doing the newspaper, except you get to do your own cool stories and then mm-hmm. you're going to tell me it's like hey did you know about whatever and it's like oh that sounds like fun and right yeah you know right. the leads bring themselves on right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 cool 
Have any other any other projects that you want to talk about? Anything new plans for the new year? No, my brain is sort of filled right now. Uh, you've talked about a lot right now, yes. actually. Yeah. But, but one thing I wanted to bring up is a conversation you and I had about the art therapy program for veterans at the Chalmers Wiley Veterans Clinic here in Columbus. Yeah, there are a couple of people over there, and and it's here again, it's if the veteran allows himself to allow themselves to go in and try something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the whole thing. It's like, yeah, that'd be fun, which is one level, but to actually go do it and get involved. And part of it is you know, the, the VA here in town is absolutely wonderful. They do so much for everybody. Um, but there's still a finite amount of time and energy and money. Uh, I just talked to a gentleman a couple days ago that I ran into that is trying to figure out how to get some additional things done and where am I going to get the resources from Mm -hmm. and how do I get people to know that it's here, that kind of thing. And online there's a variety of things out there that um, I've got a page saved uh, that has to do with some other veterans who are photographers that are trying to work with other veterans to get them involved. And, and I know a couple of uh, workshop groups that I, I would love to be a, a mentor and get them to get veterans to, mm-hmm. to, to get out and, and do something. It doesn't make any difference in photography, if it's drawing, if it's mm-hmm. music, whatever, but something that gets your mind uh, on and going in a different direction than just uh, right. rethinking or, or, yeah. or digging a hole for yourself that you right. don't need to dig. Right. Well, we always end with last words of wisdom. <laughs> you saw that coming up, and you yeah, like, really? yeah. you want to ask me that? But but, but uh, what advice would you give in, in in any realm? Whether you're a first time photographer or how to handle the stress of being a veteran? Um. So, uh, because of uh, the the TED Talk thing, I'm mm-hmm. doing doing more background research on the PTSD and. There's only a small percentage of people that are veterans, and out of that percentage of veterans is even a smaller piece of the, the ones with PTSD. And then um, you, you think in terms of PTSD as sort of an invisible wound. And trying to get people to understand what that is, both from the aspect of the person who might have it and from the aspect of the, of the people that they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And and how to bring that to the foreground without, you know, I it's nothing I want to announce. It's nothing that I want to wear on my shoulder. I mean, people that have disabilities have a tendency, some people, to kind of throw that out there. And that's not, not where we want to be with this. This has just got to be something that you can go do. So for me, the photography, and I didn't know this. I had no clue. I didn't know about PTSD. I was at the VA and somebody said, what did you do? And I told them and they said, here, go down this room and here's a piece of paper. I checked off three quarters of it and they said, yeah, you got PTSD. And I'm like, uh, that explains a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then now there's been all these insights and realizations about why and how and what. And and photographically, it, it does. It gets you involved with other people. Now, I've got friends who are landscape photographers that, don't want to deal with people in any way, shape, or form. And they do absolutely wonderful work. Um, 
But here again, that at least gets them out. Then they get to publish the pictures, so they get feedback, or they get to hang their images and they get feedback. So anything that you can do that interacts in such a way that you can get other people to look at and deal with it. Uh, and then uh, the, the, the biggest compliment you can get is either A, I really like it, or B, I really hate it. But either way, it evoked something in a wave of feedback, and you can have a discussion over it, which is better than, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Very, very true. Right. So many thanks to documentarian, <laughs> photojournalist, and veteran, Ed Zirkel, for joining us today and helping us to honor our veterans. Listeners, thank you for joining us, and don't forget to check our show notes for on the website for contact information and resources we've discussed today. You can find all of this information at lookingforwardourway.com, and we're looking forward to hearing your feedback on this and any of our podcast episodes. And thank you all for listening to me. <laughs> <laughs>